from the Auto Line Studios. Here is your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on Auto Line this week, where we're going to be talking about where the automotive industry is headed. Ever since the Great Recession, 2008 2009, the recovery in the automotive industry has been spectacular a rocket light growth trajectory. But how long can that go on and when might it change? To get to the bottom of that, I've got three experts, including Mark Wakefield, the Managing Director of Alex Partners, Charlie Chesborough, the Senior Principal Economist with IHS Automotive, and Jeff Schuster, the Senior Vice President for Forecast at LMC Automotive. And great to have you all here. Thank you. Great to be here. So, Mark, I want to start right with you because uh, recently Alex Partners came out with a forecast saying, whoa, let's be careful because in 2017, you're forecasting that we could see a big drop in car sales in the American market. So yeah. please fill us in with the details of what that release was all about and why you're thinking that way. Yeah, I'd be pleased to. I mean, right now it's a perfect calm in the industry. Everything feels good. We've got all the right conditions, credit availability, product, sales are going up, beating forecasts just by a little bit each time to make everyone feel good. So it's a good position now. But it's worth reminding people and it's worth thinking about the cyclicality of this industry because it's a cyclical business. Always has been and always will be. Typically, you know, seven to ten years, there's a cycle down. Now, we missed one in 2001, but that was a special situation with the Keep America rolling. So we see fundamental and cyclical issues. So fundamentally, people are less interested in driving, particularly the younger ones. Number of licenses, number of vehicle usage, all this sort of stats. On the cyclical side, it's more about interest rates and QE unwinding. And when you're in a perfect calm, it really can only get worse from there. So we're above the long-term average. People should start thinking about when this could end. Maybe 2017, maybe others, but it'll end. And the QE is the quantitative What's easing, which is the Fed pushing multiple yeah. billions of uh, dollars into yeah. the economy. Right? You see this in a consumer way by seeing the wealth versus disposable income. And it went away, the, the lines moved perfectly from the 50s to the 70s, or to the 90s even. Then it moves away in the internet bubble, back down to the line. Wealth, wealth goes back to income. Then housing goes away, and then back down. And now it's moving away again. Wealth is going up, but disposable income is just on its trajectory. Typically, those lines come back together. Uh-oh. Jeff, do you guys see it the same way, a downturn out there? You know, in our base case, we don't. Um, obviously, we're living in a world of scenarios, and I think you have to look at that as you look at the out years. Um, from a base case standpoint, um, you know, I think some of the, some of the issues, uh, certainly, that you brought up, uh, we would agree with absolutely. Those are risks out there. Um, we're looking more at a slowdown of the growth rate as opposed to a, a significant pullback in overall volume. Um, we do see that we're, we're peaking out at, at the recovery. I think we're getting through that. Um, clearly, we're, we're in a hot zone right now with, uh, with car sale activity. There's no question about that. The, the summer has been very strong. Um, I think uh, the year will end strong as well. Uh, I think as we then end into 2015, 2016, we start to see a pullback in the growth rate. So we're looking around 4% growth this year, um, 2 to 3% in 2015. Um, getting into the higher end of the, the 16 million unit level, and then we get closer to the one to 2% in the out years. So we're not forecasting a recession at this point. I think it's, it's difficult to time when that is, uh, certainly as, as you brought up, um, but I think that there are signals out there that, that um, things could happen. There's no question, I think, when you look at the expectation of the rise in interest rates uh, starting in 2015, uh, that hits monthly payments, or, you know, that, that has an impact. 
uh, we are seeing a pretty substantial increase in the terms of loans. Uh, that's a way to counter that. Leasing has been very strong, above 20% in recent months, and it will, ex it will likely stay in that range. So I think there's ways to counter it, um, but, there, but there certainly are some warning signals out there, I think, that we'll see slower growth. And Charlie, I'm dying to get your viewpoint on this, too. Well, I would say that IHS Automotive has a very similar uh, view as my two colleagues here. Uh, I will say, though, that you know, when we look at 2017, you know, they're talking about interest rates, and that is something that we're, we are quite concerned about, that we're going to see that at that point in time, interest rates will probably be a good two or three percentage points higher than where they are today, which is a sizable uh, amount. The real question that we're facing is how do consumers absorb that? How does the economy absorb that? And does that uh, have a negative impact on vehicle sales? I think certainly it will. Whether it sends us into negative territory, that's kind of the question mark. I think the, the greater danger is more on the upside potential. There's still a lot of, uh, of uh, underneath strength in the market that could take us well beyond uh, sort of our own forecast yeah. here. Uh, and how can that be a problem? Well, and, 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 well and I don't know that necessarily can be a problem other than uh, we may be in the cyclical behavior again where we're going to sell more vehicles and we probably should so we're going to come crashing down hard as we have done in other, uh, uh, other times when we've had the downturn, uh, maybe not the levels of 2009, uh, but certainly that we're going to probably oversell. Uh, will the automotive companies be able to maintain that incentive discipline to not cut the price on the vehicles to keep sales going even when demand starts slacking off a little bit in 2016, 2017. That's what we can't really judge from, from this point right now. It's so interesting listening to the three of you because you've all focused in on interest rates. So I'm not an economist. I, I don't follow it like you do, but my understanding is we are at now record low interest rates. Yeah. Aren't we just sort of going back to normal maybe at some point? So. Uh, Mark, how, how bad could interest rates hurt? It seems like the latest forecast is the end of 2015 is when people think things will start raising. Now that's been moving, so it probably will continue to move into 2016. But if it goes up, say, 3%, uh, that's $2,500 in purchasing power that the consumers don't have in their pocket, basically. For their overall income, yeah, disposable income. 85% of the vehicles are financed. So mm -hmm. on, 80, on that big chunk of them, now they, they have 2,500 less to spend. If it goes up 7%, which is still way less than that you know, early 80s boom, uh, it's $5,250 purchasing power they don't have. And it's tough to create that with, as you were mentioning, terms where they are, mm -hmm. with other pieces as they are. It's tough to, uh, to overcome that. Charlie, would you look for the, the car companies to step in to make up for that difference? Maybe not in terms of sales incentives, but somehow making the, well, the interest rates a little bit easier? I think, I think it's very likely they will do something to try and keep sales going. Uh, you know, subvened interest rates, you know, 0% financing for five, six years maybe, and it depends on how long they, they get, uh, extend out the contract there. Uh, but it seems likely that the, the automotive companies will step in to try and keep the demand going. Uh, but like I said, there could be underlying forces as well. You know, the housing market still has a long way to go in its comeback. We're maybe about a little over halfway in terms of the comeback on the housing market. Uh, all that, all that uh, construction activity is going to be a big boost for, for truck sales. Yep. You know, we got a couple more good years of that uh, really uh, supporting vehicle sales. So uh, I think interest rates are definitely a concern. I don't know that they're going to stifle the market, though. Uh, it, it could be that, uh, you know, we're going to see wages rise, unemployment's going to be better. You know, the whole economy is going to be looking better in 2015, 2016. That may provide enough lift for the whole industry to take us to new highs, possibly. I think, yeah, I think we have to keep in mind that <clears throat> the economy so far in 2014 is underperforming expectations, uh, mainly because of the first quarter. And if we look at an economy that's sub-2% growth this year, which is what it appears to be, 
we would have to expect to see 3% over the next couple of years. And I think that, that range would help drive additional car sales and maybe put some stability out there as, as we manage through this interest rate rise. Um, so I, I would concur. I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a risk. Um, I, I don't think it's enough by itself uh, to completely derail the, the uh, pace of the auto industry right now. And what do you make of uh, what Charlie's saying, of worrying whether the car companies will maintain discipline and not go crazy with sales incentives? And the reason I ask that, <clears throat> you know, if you go back before 2008, they had so much excess capacity, right. or at least the domestics did, mm -hmm. that they had to keep the plants mm -hmm. running, and so they incentivized everything like crazy. Today, they don't have to do that. Will they maintain discipline? No, that's exactly, and that's something we're watching very closely. Um, discipline's been maintained so far, no question about it. Um, I think as you look to the future, production capacity utilization is running extremely lean. Um, the, the plants are running full out for the most part, and it's not just the Japanese plants this time, it's everyone. So I think using that as a backdrop, we're seeing a lot of uh, import substitution taking place over the next several years, so there's investment coming in for additional capacity, uh, but it's not capacity that's going to be excess. So we're, gonna be, we're expecting to see the continuation of running very lean. Uh, I think if you combine that with where incentives are right now, which, which is very flat uh, from a year-over-year -year standpoint, uh, there's been little movements. I think we'll see pockets of, of incentives used in, in maybe regional areas, um, but I, I don't expect to see widespread use. I guess what I'm saying is I think there's a little bit of play in that. Uh, incentives can increase a little bit to offset, also to, again to offset some of this uh, monthly payment increase uh, without getting into the trouble zone. So I think there's a little bit of room there. Um, the concern for me as it relates to incentives is uh, the competitive pressure. Um, a lot of vehicle launches, you know, we, we all look at that and there's certainly a high level of launches over the next several years. Uh, smaller brands rounding out their lineups. All the products are getting much better, so I think it's going to be hard to stand out and that's when incentives potentially can come into play. Mark, Alex Partners would seem to be the, the bear here, the, mm -hmm. the, the one that's predicting uh, a downturn in yeah. the business. What are you advising your clients? How, how do you prepare for a downturn? You do a number of things, and it's actually our clients that started us down this path of saying, we know it's a cyclical business, we need to understand what this could be and what we should be planning for. And so we have one supplier client that does two budgets, that does a plan A budget and a in case of fire, break glass budget that is 10 or 15% below you know, the typical downturn peak to trough of what sales could be. And so if this happens, they've got a plan already sort of worked out on the shelf. And that actually leads itself into nice things as well to say, well, if we've got that plan, let's question plan A as well, and maybe there's some improvement we can even do in the meantime. So give us some examples. What would a car company do in, the, the, in case of uh, emergency break glass? Well, it's setting yourself up to variabilize your cost structure to go into it. So as you're making these big bets and big decisions, well, let's look at the mainstream, but let's also make sure we're not overcommitting ourselves in a sunk cost or in a structural cost that we won't be able to maneuver through a 15% reduction. And so it's really in the decision-making in investments, in product, in plants, in commitments to employees, in SG&A. And so it's really in that planning phase that they, if they can variabilize it and if they can keep this in mind, uh, they'll make better decisions and they'll make more incremental decisions that they can invest as they go. Well, and I think also uh, I would agree with that and also to diversify. 
uh, to not count on the United States as all, your sole, sole source of profit, that you want to be in other markets as well. Uh, you know, as we've seen, uh, uh, the emerging markets were the darlings after 2008, 2009, and now the bloom is off that rose. Right. Uh, but in terms of, uh, of where profits are coming from, you know, the, the auto companies, I think, have gotten, the, have gotten the memo, and they've definitely set up operations globally so that they can make money everywhere to take advantage of how the, how the economies are going to be changing around the world so that they're not going to be uh, left vulnerable. Well, I know that you follow the Asian market particularly. What's your forecast for the, the rest of the decade as to how that'll go? And I know it's a very varied market. Well, it really is. Uh, you know, the the, uh, the Asian market's been going through a very difficult time the last few years. You know, when we had the uh, the, the global recession, uh, we saw sort of the global financial community bail on the mature markets, and they invested heavily in the emerging markets mm-hmm. uh, because they were looking at you know positive economic growth rates versus recession in, in Europe, the United States, and Japan. Uh, but what we've seen over the last uh, 18 months, two years, is that the money flows have been leaving these emerging markets. That now that, that Europe has emerged from recession, the United States is on a, on a very strong growth path. Uh, the global financial community is putting their money back into the, into the Western markets. You can see that in equity stock markets mm-hmm. going through the roof. Uh, and as a result of this, a lot of the currencies have been hit in these emerging markets. They've had to raise interest rates to defend their currencies. That increases the, the cost of borrowing for consumers. Just like we were talking about interest rates a moment ago, uh, you know, the folks in India and Indonesia are all looking at higher interest rates, making it difficult to, to purchase vehicles there. But when you look longer term in these markets, uh, there's still just tremendous upside potential. You know, there's just hundreds of millions of new consumers that can afford vehicles that are being created there over this next decade. And one of the things we know about economic development is, is that as countries uh, go through economic development, as its citizens gain wealth, they want personal transportation. Uh, businesses need transportation to move goods uh, from, from place to place. So the long-term outlook for, for the uh, emerging market still remains quite optimistic, uh, but that's not to say there's not going to be some, some bumps in the road to get there. Jeff, you seem very bullish, though, on, on the NAFTA market. And, and it collectively is still the most profitable market, car market in the world. Even though China produces more vehicles, more profit, it's still generated in the U.S. market alone. How big might this market get? I mean, uh, we'll likely close well over 16 million units in the U.S. this year. How high can it go? Where can we go? Yeah. I mean, it's a a great question. I think uh, just looking at at trend growth, you know, I think at the at the end of the the decade, um, looking at household creation and just using that as the basis, uh, and yeah, there's a lot of lot of issues around that and licensed drivers. No question about the, some concerns there. However, I think when you look at that, you're looking into the into the mid 17s, uh, providing there is not a, a shock. Uh, so I, I think that's the natural level, and that would assume still a relatively low level of fleet volume. So we're not looking for uh, uh, increase to a fleet back to 20% or 22% when it peaked. Um, and that was really the signal of unprofitable sales for the OEMs. So I think right now we're, we're under 17.5% fleet for this year. And I think we would expect a more natural level to be in the low 18s. So you know, I think when we look out in that horizon, that's really the range we're looking at. Um, Behind that, though, as I said, is the, is the competitive pressures. And I think the, the other interesting trend to look at when we look over this next several years is this convergence in the middle of the market. And that's really the premiums coming downstream and your mainstream brands adding content. And when you look at average transaction prices in the $30,000 range, 
Uh, we're seeing a lot more content on those, those non-premium vehicles, and we're seeing more affordability premium vehicles. That creates another interesting competitive dynamic. I see that uh, the average MSRP in the United States right now is almost $34,000. That's out of reach for a lot of households. And in 2015 and beyond, as the fuel economy standards really start to ramp up, we're going to see car prices and truck prices go up even more. Are, are we pricing the average household out of this market? I think if interest rates stay low, it's a payment buyer. So 450 a month is about the average payment. Uh, and when someone goes into a dealership, they're typically got that in mind, 300, 200, 500 as a number. And so it's really that number that you need to consider, which includes interest rates in it, in affordability, I would say. Well, I, and I, I agree, John. I think that's a real concern that uh, uh, the, the vehicle prices could be outpacing the growth in wages and that they're going to get too expensive. And I think we're kind of seeing some of this already in the, in the used car market and how expensive used cars are these days. So, uh, you know, the people who can't afford the new car are having to go into the used market, and now you're seeing inflated prices there as well. So, uh, you know, I think cars are going to become much more difficult for the average consumer to buy. Uh, but they always have been expensive. You know, it's, it's always been, you know, the, the salaried workers or, you know, the, the, the stable and uh, hourly workers that were buying these vehicles. Folks that were, you know, had questionable employment uh, were always not going to be the, the new car buyers out there. So uh, it's a mixed bag. Uh, you talked earlier, Jeff, about uh, the increasing uh, amount of uh, leases. Mm. We're also seeing a big increase now in subprime lending. Is that something that concerns you? You know, right now, I think the level that, that we're seeing, no, because I think it's just suggesting there's, there's an opening up of the credit availability, which we've been experiencing really since the recession. Um, so in my opinion, we haven't got to that, that concern point yet. However, it is, as we continue to see it edge up, it, it's something that's alarming as we look over the next several years, if that trend continues. I think it'll flatten out. Um, but then again, when when we get to a point where we are looking at rising interest rates or other issues out there, that's something that can, that can be used to entice buyers to come back in. Uh, and that's when the trouble potentially could start. And I think those are the signals that we really need to look, look out for. The leasing is an issue, though. I want to jump in on this because leasing is a pro-cyclical thing when you get too much of it. You know, if you think back to the late 90s and into, into early 2000s, when residuals were quite high and leases were done at that high level of residuals, then it came home to roost when residuals kind of crashed in the 2001-2003 period. And so it makes people pull back from leasing because they're not able to put a residual out there or they have to you know, basically put money on the hood and hide it with their, an inflated residual. And so it's, the more leasing there is, the more pro-cyclical this move will be up and down. Hmm. I think the other, the other thing that's, that's interesting to look when you look at that uh, leasing and residual value is that that obviously props and keeps leasing where it is. Hmm. Um, where used car pricing is, that's supporting that right now. Yeah. And mm -hmm. if we don't see a flood of, say, fleet vehicles that end up in the auction market, which puts some pressure on pricing, certainly, uh, if we can keep stability in used car prices, then I think that benefits certainly leasing in the new car market. Uh, so that's another variable that certainly could change. But the, the used car market has been tight ever yes. since the Great Recession, mm -hmm. because as new car sales fell, right. you go two, three years out, yeah. there's there's not There's those cars else, that right? would then be good used right. ones. That's got to be mitigated now or, or mitigating, and isn't that going to have an impact then on residuals? Yeah, no question. It, can, it certainly can have an impact. I think 
the benefits, though, as I, as I mentioned, when you, when you have less fleet volume, that will help. So yes, the, the overall volume has increased, but the turnover of fleet, which is just continuing to fuel that used car market and put pressure on pricing, is, is not there at a, at, at a level that it was uh, prior to the recession. Uh, so even with a higher volume, and yes, that's going to put some pressure on used car prices, it's still expected to be a relatively tight market over the next few years. Next year, of course, we'll see the UAW finally be able to go on strike if it sh should so choose against General Motors and Chrysler. Always could against Ford. There doesn't seem to have been any problems. As you guys look out as to where this industry is going for the rest of the decade, what kind of impact do you see the, the next contract having on your forecast? I don't see it having any impact on the forecast because that a strike would be a short-term blip, but we're not going to forecast in that sort of a thing. What we do see, though, is an impact on the business model, where if the price starts to go very high to have internal employees at an OEM, you may see another one of these waves of outsourcing and of outsourcing to tier ones and tier ones taking on more business. That's been a trend that's been going a bit away from in the last few years. Because, to your point, just to emphasize that, because I think it's an important one, with the, the Detroit 3 being more competitive, they've been insourcing work. They've been bringing work back inside. You're saying that could be in danger, and it might reverse and start going out again. If it goes to a certain level, yes. Mm -hmm. Charlie, what do you see? Well, I, certainly they want to keep their cost structure uh, in line and certainly competitive. Uh, you know, we, we've had a nice, you know, not only have auto sales been increasing here in the U.S., but in, uh, auto production has been rising quite a bit. Uh, and the U.S. has been, uh, more manufacturing jobs have been coming here because of, uh, of uh, reasonable labor costs. So if we saw the UAW or something that, that changed that equation dramatically, we may see manufacturers make some changes in their sourcing decisions, which would not be good for, for manufacturing jobs here. Yeah, I think just related to that, I, I would agree. I think uh, it, it's a risk. I, I don't see it as a long-term uh, issue on the, on the market from a volume standpoint. Profitability does come into question. I think the overall business model, as you mentioned, also come into question. So uh, certainly all eyes will be watching those negotiations. So, uh, Jeff, you guys deal not with the car companies, but with suppliers as well. Uh, we do both. What's your outlook for the supplier industry, which is such a critical role in, in this business? A absolutely. I think when we look at the demand side of it, and we see some of these potential risks in the medium-term horizon, I think the supplier side or the production side is very different in North America. Uh, it, it's the opposite, in fact. Uh, with this notion of, of bringing vehicles from brands that were previously imported uh, to the shores, uh, primarily in Mexico and in the southern U.S., uh, there's a huge expansion taking place over uh, the next several years in North America. So there's a lot of capacity coming in. Uh, giving you an idea, we're looking at this year uh, volume approaching 17 million units, about 16.8 million units of production volume in North America. Uh, by the end of the decade, uh, we're we've crossed that 19 million unit level with the, the amount of investment coming in. So the, the import share is going down pretty substantially. Uh, so it, it's not, uh, you know, not a, an expectation of significant growth in demand, but it's just a sourcing change. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, benefits the supply base immensely in North America. Charlie, you as bullish on uh, the supply base? Oh, yeah. They, they've had, a, you know, just like the auto companies have been doing well, the supply base has been doing very well since, uh, since 2009. And, and I certainly agree. I think... Uh, 
the, the huge increase we've seen in more manufacturing here from the, the foreign companies building plants here and manufacturing across North America uh, is certainly been uh, helpful to our area of the country, uh, the Detroit area, uh, and I think the suppliers are going to continue to enjoy a good couple years, uh, good profits. And yet, Mark, we're seeing some suppliers saying, I'm out of the automotive business. I can't make sure. any money at this thing. How, how, how do you balance those things with, here's Plus, good growth yeah. and some companies doing terrific and others saying, I, I'm out of this place. It's, it's not just that I'm out because of uh, not making money. It's also that the market rewards companies in other industries sometimes more. And so sometimes when a private equity company uh, will come to us and say, okay, we bought this thing and we want it to be rated not as an auto supplier, but as an aftermarket retailer or as a industrial equipment supplier and those might or a conglomerate and those might get a higher PE multiple and be more attractive and it's not because the auto industry is a bad industry but when you've got say five of the OEMs controlling about 50% of the market and about 50 suppliers controlling 50% of the uh, supplier market you have that natural buyer power and buyers that are, are private equity owners or conglomerates that have an option often choose markets that have less buyer power. But we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of uh, people re working really hard just to even catch up and just to stay in place, to match these, these volumes that keep increasing, to make whatever they can out of their existing capacity, to deal with these global platforms and this new stress into it, and to deal with all these launches. So there's been a lot of just running to get things to where they are. You don't see it as much buying the car, but there's a lot of uh, ducks paddling beneath, <laughs> beneath the surface to make all this happen with the existing capacity. And it's not easy, and it's unfortunately meaning that the profit margins in North American-based suppliers are somewhat flatlining on a percentage basis. They're going up with volumes, but that's not what you want to see in a rising tide. That's right. Charlie, we're down to the very end here. I need a quick answer. As we see some companies leave the automotive business for Mark, or reasons that Mark just cited, we're seeing new ones come in too, especially out of Silicon Valley with all this connected car and autonomous technology. You see that growing? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if, if Google's doing it, it must be a good thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, we welcome Google in, into the auto business. Uh, hey, they just got a new member of their board, Alan Mulally, so I don't think that was by accident. You, you can't go wrong with him. <laughs> Real good. With that, we're going to have to wrap it up. I want to thank all three of you. Mark Wakefield, the Managing Director of Alex Partners. Charlie Chesborough, the Senior Principal Economist with IHS Automotive. Jeff Schuster, the Senior Vice President of Forecast for LMC Automotive. I want to thank you all for having been here. Want to thank all of you for having tuned in.